Good morning. This morning I have a topic that is sobering, but it's a key part of the revelation of the Word of God. And uh, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. This morning I would like to speak about the, the biblical doctrine of hell. And this evening I'd like to tackle the same topic. This morning, I'd like to go through some of the biblical revelation on this topic. And this evening, I'd like to talk about some of the challenges of talking about this topic that uh, Christians face today. Uh, my, my main reason for doing this is because uh, the eternal state of people, the future of people, uh, is a one of the four big questions of life, not just where we came from, not just who we are, not just what it means to live the good life or the virtuous life, but where we're going. What is the future of a human person? Uh, these are big questions that all worldviews and thinkers attempt to answer, uh, and people ignore them um, at their own peril. And so the Bible has a very... Um, clear account of this topic. It's not without disagreement, uh, but I wonder if there are a number of people that are not talking about this topic as much because it's, uh, it's, it's so disliked by many people. So I, I think that means it's an important thing that we need to sort of take up and talk about. So that's our topic for today. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm going to read this verse and then just pray. This is a starting point of thinking about what the meaning or the direction of life is. And this perspective differs from other perspectives. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Well, why is that? For that, namely, a funeral or the end of life, mourning, is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Hopefully. Sorrow is better than laughter. Why is that? For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. So the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Let's just pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something about biblical wisdom that comes from being realistic about life. If a person's not realistic about what's going on in their life, then they can't really deal with life in a wise way. And the scripture calls people to think realistically about the future. 
Uh, it doesn't varnish things. It says, listen, you really, if you want to be a wise person, if you want to live with wisdom, you need to go to the end of your life and you need to look hard at that. Uh, this type of wisdom has been picked up by other people who aren't necessarily followers of Christ. Start with the end in mind. Think about where you want to wind up and think about where you're going and then plan backwards from there. Don't just run blindly and headlong into life pretending that the tape never runs out. Um, there's a commercial, I don't know what company it's for, you've probably all seen it, that has, they're sort of advocating financial planning and how much money your retirement account will get you. And they have these people sort of stretching out these ribbons from a central point and these people sort of get to the end of their ribbon and they realize, oh, I didn't save enough or my financial plan won't really get me to where I need to be. But it's an interesting illustration of the fact that they're telling these people, you need to think with the end in mind and then work back from there. And that's what the, pro that's what the writer of, um, of Ecclesiastes says. Some people in our world have a different perspective. They say, just don't worry about it. It's sort of a postmodern, utilitarian perspective. Um, some other perspectives on the end of life would be a naturalistic worldview that the physical is all that exists. You don't have a mind, you're just a brain. You don't have a soul, you're merely an aggregate of molecules and physical processes. And when the body ceases to function, it ceases to replicate itself, then you cease to exist. And so there's just annihilation on many people's worldviews. Uh, there's a pantheistic worldview that God is part of everything and we're all part of God and so when we die we'll sort of uh, continue to exist in the universe somewhere. somewhere. Uh, and then there's the worldview that I mentioned which is just don't think about it. <laughs> just don't worry about all this nonsense about death. Just live your life, be happy, uh, do the best you can and um, you'll be alright. Uh, each of those statements posits propositions, truths, concepts about the world that people are not necessarily entitled to. You can't just help yourself to facts about the world. Your opinions don't have the capacity to build the world you want to live in. Uh, one view of truth is known as the correspondence theory of truth, where when what I have in my mind actually matches the things that are out in the world, then what is in my mind is truth. If what's in my mind doesn't match with Judgment, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. It's an angelic figure. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And also, also a very important phrase in biblical theology. 
uh, the, the, the book of God with, with the names that are written in it. You hear Paul talking in, about his name being blotted out or things like that are, um, from Moses. Um, and, and Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So here we have resurrection. Some to everlasting life, and some, it doesn't say to everlasting death. Notice what it says. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. It's an interesting choice of words. It's not simply sort of an everlasting death. There's a contempt associated. There's, there's something about a group of people that when they are looked on, there's, there's, just, there's just contempt and this is the word that he uses, everlasting life contrasted with everla- to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there's a, there's a clear verse in the Old Testament that there's not just a resurrection, but there's a resurrection to life or to contempt and shame. So the Old Testament has a lot of verses about the grave, existence in the grave, uh, the great ones of the earth being gathered to one's ancestors in the grave, but there are some verses that talk about the judgment to come. But then we go into the Gospels, and as the, the, the scope of Revelation widens, our Savior gives a lot of information about this topic. Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to read quickly. I need to sort of speed up a little bit. Matthew chapter 5. We're just sort of going through the scriptures here. I understand that it's a, it's a challenging topic. And I have a lot of thoughts to give you after the scriptures that I think will help think through this. Matthew 5 verse 22. 5 through 7 is described by some as the Sermon on the Mount. More of a hill. But uh, Matthew 5 verse 22. Reading from 21 for context, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, so this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, the divine interpretation of the law of God. I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of the of hellfire. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that, that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So, so even just those simple words, to be cast. It's not just resurrection, shame, and, and contempt. Now there's, there's a sort of a casting into hell. There's sort of Someone is putting somebody somewhere. And and whatever that place is, it is worse than significant loss in this life. Okay? So in dealing with things that might cause a person to not follow Christ as Messiah or to stumble into sin, it is better to undergo vicious loss in this life rather than have that happen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. The narrow gate. Think of a, a place that a person's trying to get into. 
This is not a big, wide, there's sort of outdoor malls across America where you sort of just walk in and it's just a big, wide gate. They have the art fair, right? They have the big fairs here. And there's just all kinds of streets to get in the art fair. You, just can, you could wander in on accident. <laughs> That's not how, you don't wander in heaven on accident. Or right? you don't wander into God's eternal presence on accident. It's, it's, a, it's a narrow, way. It, it takes some deliberacy here. I like to think of, how, how many of you have ever sort of uh, crawled under a fence to get into a sports school baseball field. It's kind of part of American life. Yeah, that is trespassing. Um, but, but it's, it's sort of something, every, you don't get in on accident. You know, you kind of one at a time, you got to get down and crawl under and lift the fence up and don't get your britches caught. You just, it's kind of, it's not happening on accident. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in it by it. Why? Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. So here's the word destruction. You're going to find some key words associated with hell in the New Testament. And one of them is punishment. One of them is destruction. One of them is separation. Judgment. There's different key words. Verse number 19 says this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Look at chapter 8, verse 12. Verse 10, for context, and Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say unto you that many will come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's a great topic to talk about the kingdom. But the sons of the kingdom, those that belong to it, those that should have been in it, those that were characterized by it, the nation of Israel and many of its people will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So now here's this emotional element. Not only a cast into hell, but now there's a cast out and a, a weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm just reading through verses. There's something that's being described here. And all of these different verses hit on something that is awaiting the future. There's resurrection to everlasting life or to everlasting shame and content. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a place of voiling. There's a place that people are actually cast. Matthew chapter 10. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to take the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to take these words as well or hold to a doctrine of the Scriptures that allows you to sort of pick and choose and by some sort of argumentation say, well, this wasn't actually inspired, but this was, and then you have to come up with a much, you've got to come up with a justification for why you can even do that and how you can defend that view of Scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, thinking of persecution, the Lord tells His followers, the disciples, don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now this is an excellent verse for the existence of more than just the physical person. The, the, the soul is, is described here. There's not just a physical body, there's actually a soul. Now if a person is an annihilationist, they're going to go to that verse because what does it speak about? Well, destruction, right? there, there's your proof right there. When we study the word of God, we've got to take in all that the scripture says on a topic. You can find a verse in isolation that you can use 
to support all kinds of things. And so my, my suggestion is going to be <clears throat> keep reading and looking at the Scriptures because other Scriptures talk about everlasting. And so um, we have to balance those against how we understand the word destruction. Destruction can mean profound loss. And in a word study of the word destruction in Scripture, we might talk more about this tonight, means more than just a cessation of existence. Um, it can also mean the total ruin of something for, for its original purpose. Um, and people talk about being dest- we're destroyed, but they're not, they don't cease to exist, but I won't give examples of that. Matthew chapter 13 Verse number 30. Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them. These are weeds that look like wheat, that look like genuine, profess that they, the good seed are those that have believed in the word of the king. They've believed in the gospel. They've put their trust in Christ. And uh, then there are those that, that they make profession and look like that, and they're in the kingdom. Let them both grow together until harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He's the one that talks about this. One of the things that you, you have to come to grips with is that the New Testament portrays Jesus Christ not only as the Savior, but as the one qualified to be the judge. The one who did the most, so to speak, to save people from eternal judgment is the one who will also commit them to it. And so people have said things like, you either meet Jesus as your Savior, you finish the sentence, or you meet him as your your judge. One of the things I'm going to show you tonight is that God is doing more than anyone to keep people from future judgment. I'm going to show you a number of very fascinating verses. I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a case tonight that God cares far more than you ever could about the eternal destiny of people. See, people are hung up about the justice of hell. How can this be just? But then we look at a God that is doing way more than you've ever done to keep people from it. The Bible talks about hell as a place created for the devil and his angels. And so that gets us into the biblical, the broader storyline of, well, what is, what is this about? Who are these angels? Who is this devil? Why was this place created for them? And why is it that people will wind up there? Was it the intention that people wind up there? I don't know that that's God's ideal intention. We'll, we'll look at verses tonight that talk about that God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. We've got to bring all of these verses in for a sort of a much richer view of what's going on here. Uh, not even through the book of Matthew. And um, there, are, there are a number of verses where the Lord just continues to talk about this, this place. It's interesting to ask yourself, if there's no fear or threat of judgment to come, what was it exactly that Christ was dying on the cross to save people from? Why not just let people pass off into, you know, why preach the gospel with such urgency? Why die for it? 
There's something that the writers of the New Testament were very keen to get across to people. Um, Let's read one more verse and then I'll close and we'll, we'll try to do way too much tonight. Um, there, 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 I'm just reading the scriptures and this, just, just, this doesn't really make a case for anything on one hand for some individuals that have questions about it. Uh, so uh, Mark chapter 3, let's just look at Mark chapter 3, verse 29. The scripture gives you these concepts of resurrection, the body is not the end of life when it dies. A person continues to exist. Now, one way to look at this is not that you are a body that has a soul, but that you are a soul that has a body. The essential you, the, the you that exists and goes beyond the destruction of the body is your, your soul or spirit. Um, but God designed you to live and, and breathe through a, a physical body. And so Paul describes that as being unclothed or being naked, that, that point between death and resurrection and the resurrection body. It's not the ideal, uh, but the, the, the created person can exist in that state. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse number uh, 20, 28 for context. Surely I say to you that all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter. If you're here this morning, this is a valuable verse for you if you think that somehow you've done something that's too bad for God to forgive. You need to underline the word all. All sins will be forgiven, the sons of men. Even blasphemy. If you ever you know, shook your fist at God and, 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 and blasphemed him, he is willing and able to forgive that. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's right. He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an awesome word. You're going to need that word. You're going to go to that word. But look what it says here. Assuredly, I say unto you that all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said that Jesus had an unclean spirit. They looked bold-faced in the miracles that Jesus did, and they, they disbelieved in him with the clearest and most profound disbelief. They not only rejected his messianic work, they said, you're not only not the Messiah, you are a demonic force. You are working by Satan's power. That's not just disbelief, that's... That's, that's rank rejection of the miraculous in your face. If people wonder if they've ever committed the unpardonable sin, uh, probably not. Um, you, don't, you haven't had the opportunity, I presume, to watch Jesus do miracles, then point your finger at him and say, those are demonically empowered miracles. Um, but that verse is there. But what I wanted to point us to is that it says this, um, it is subject to eternal condemnation. Here we're going to start running into words like eternal in the descriptions of judgment to come. And so then we have to grapple with what does the word eternal mean? What does the word forever mean? Um, so we will tackle that tonight. So I'm leaving you hanging, so to speak. Uh, the, 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 the good stuff, the gospel's good news. 
the, 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 good, the good stuff is also this evening. We're going to talk about how do we reconcile this? How do we deal with this? Um, so you probably might have plans, but come out, and I'm going to try to give you some interesting thoughts about this. And, um, and if you haven't, you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe it's because you don't realize that this is what he's saving you from. Salvation means to be rescued. If you're not in danger of anything, you don't need to be rescued. But God is saying you need to be rescued. You are actually in danger of something. You know, good news doesn't make any sense if there's not any bad news to, to set it against. Uh, the good news that Christ died on the cross isn't good news if you don't need that. <laughs> but you need it. And some have said, Jesus Christ isn't all you need. Jesus Christ is all you've got. Right? When it comes to dealing with judgment to come. Let's just uh, close in a word of prayer. Lord, we remember the Philippian jailer who cried out that night when an earthquake shook his jail. Sirs, what do I do? What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. Even your house can be saved. Lord, thank you as we will see tonight that as we bump up against your righteous, holy attributes that we immediately also meet extreme love and mercy. A God who's eager to save, a longing to restore people, hating sin and yet reconciling sinners. Lord, we ask that you would give us the winsomeness and the wisdom and the clarity to both understand and communicate all the aspects of your triune being to our culture and world today. Lord, help us not to preach uh, half of who you are, but help us to preach all of who you are. Lord, help us to see all of the, the reality of what's going on so that the highlights um, glisten out against Lord, the warnings and the backdrops of judgment. Lord, help us to be faithful. Most importantly, Father, help us to be obedient to the gospel and the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. Come out tonight. Big promises. And there's cake, there's cake.